Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 7, we find a, quote, sinful woman showering her love on Jesus at the house of a religious leader. In the account, the religious leader looks down on Jesus and the woman, not understanding why Jesus allows her to anoint and kiss his feet. Jesus goes on to pointedly teach the man that this, quote, sinful woman showed Jesus far more love than he did. Do you have an active lifestyle of offensively using your time, talents, and money in advancing the cause of Jesus Christ? Or are you like this religious leader and take great pride in the fact that you're not overtly sinful? Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 7 and look at this incredible lesson of having defensive and offensive biblical Christianity. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to know his love for you and uh, just growing to repent, you know, where you fall short. Uh, that exhortation that I say, I guess, in almost every teaching is particularly uh, relevant it's always relevant. There's nothing more important than that. But this, this teaching today in Luke 7, verses 36 to 50, you know, will bring that out in, uh, in a very clear and forceful manner. Um, uh, Lord willing, we'll finish up Luke 7 today, um, where Jesus is, is anointed by a, uh, a woman who had been living a very sinful lifestyle, and we're going to unpack that. And uh, it's it's just it's a it's just they're tremendous scriptures. Obviously, they all are. Uh, this one is somewhat unique in uh, in Jesus's correction of this religious leader, and so it's it's quite interesting. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have the the holy scriptures to feed us spiritually and and uh, to feed our soul. Uh, Lord Jesus, above all, we just thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life for us. We thank you for dying a perfect, righteous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Open our hearts to the word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So we went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. 
When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So this is a... uh, this is a, a, a unique, this is a profound story in the insights into Jesus' life. Um, and as we unpack this, we're just going to see some, uh, you know, just some real tremendous insights into, you know, what it means to, to love Jesus um, and, and, and how we show him that love. In, uh, in our Christian walk, I've often used a um, an analogy to to football and in other sports, baseball and soccer and hockey and and in in most sports you have what's called offense and defense. All right, offense is what you're doing to score or to make a goal. It's it's your aggressing um, toward accomplishing a touchdown or getting runs in baseball. Um, on defense, right, you're, you're trying to stop, you know, the opposing offense from, you know, from scoring a touchdown or from getting runs in baseball or getting baskets in basketball or goals in hockey. Right, Scott? Um, so in our Christian walk with Jesus, you know, we have and I've termed this and I would imagine others have used it. We have what's called offensive Christianity and defensive Christianity. Defensive Christianity is where we, you know, is where when we're we're working to not live a sinful existence, where we are are actually laboring to to not live in intentional sin in every aspect of our lives. Most uh, most Christians in church today, most Christians in the world today have 
a much greater defensive Christianity than they have an offensive Christianity. And what I mean by that is they go to church every week and they don't have any any just uh, overt, consistent, deliberate sin in their lives. You see what I'm saying? They're not, you know, in their own mind, they're not, you know, they're not having an affair. They're not living in immorality. Um, you know, they don't, you know, they're not what they deem in their mind as, you know, as bad people. And so, you know, they, they view themselves as, you know, they're okay. And so their defensive Christianity. Now, again, defensive Christianity goes much deeper than just not living in, you know, in gross immorality, right? We ought to be growing to, to be more holy and less sinful in the sins of the heart and, you know, and of our mouth as well as in our actions, right? Meaning when we gossip, that's sin. Um, when we live in critical judgment of other people, that's certainly sin. When we live in contempt of other people, meaning when, you know, we just, we don't care about other people, you know, whether they live or die, this is certainly sin. When we live in unforgiveness, okay, that is absolutely sin. And we ought to be growing and maturing in our defensive Christianity in that as well. But in the church today, uh, again, the, the greatest portion of people in the church and Christians in the church have very little offensive Christianity. They go to church every Sunday. Again, um, they're married or not, but they're not living in, in any type of, again, terrible immorality. And so, you know, they're somewhat content in their Christianity. Here, we're going to see Jesus rebuke this religious leader, right? This man is a Pharisee. He's a, he's a leader in, you know, in, you know, the, the Jewish synagogue or in the quote church of that time. Right. Um, and so he would be like, you know, a, 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 a senior pastor, right. He would be like, uh, an elder. Um, you know, he would be like, again, someone who is a, a high level, a high level leader in the church today. And in his concept, he has this concept about him. And Jesus is going to, to correct him sharply, if not rebuke him here. Right, Tom? But it's going to be a very pointed correction to his understanding. Um, because the woman is going to have an overt love for Jesus. And Jesus is going to point out three loving actions that she does unto Jesus where she's offensive in her Christianity, where... Um, where he clearly has has not lived as sinful a life as the woman has, although certainly he does, you know, he does have aspects of his life that are sinful. We all do. But, you know, he was not living in the overt sinful lifestyle like this woman was. And so, you know, he perceived himself as better. And yet this woman, although her defensive Christianity was not as good as his, her offensive Christianity, Jesus is going to very pointedly tell this, this religious leader, far surpassed his as he didn't have any. And so offensive Christianity is when we're actively doing things in our love for Jesus. We're actively looking to advance the gospel of Christ 
Um, we're actively looking to advance the kingdom of God, the word of God, the Bible, and we're actively looking to serve Jesus and his people offensively, um, meaning we're looking to do things and, and do actions and works for Jesus um, with our time, with our gifts and talents, what we're good at, and with our, with our treasure, with our money, right? Um, and we're going to see that this woman does that where this Pharisee Simon, you know, he did not do any of these things unto Jesus. So you want to examine yourself and see, you know, what kind of Christian am I today? Am I a Christian who is balanced in that I am working on my defensive Christianity and laboring to be more holy in the deeper things of God where I'm looking to to, 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 to consistently be forgiving no matter what's going on or what's happened to me or others? I'm, uh, you know, am I consistently looking to not be contemptuous of people, right? And to just look down on them and to, to really have no care for them what, whatsoever? Am I working on my selfishness, right? And just thinking about myself and my life and my wife and my kids just, just all day long? Um, and again, that works its way into our offensive Christianity as well, right? Um, and so, you know, do I just, do I go to church every week, but yet I do very little, you know, throughout my days and advancing the kingdom of God and the word of God and the son of God, Jesus, again, with my time, am I serving Jesus and helping other people to know Jesus and grow in Jesus with my time? Am I using the gifts and talents, the things that I'm good at, the ways that Jesus has gifted me to help people know Jesus and walk with Jesus and to, to be better followers and disciples of Jesus? And am I using my money? Do I use 99, 100% of my money on myself, my wife, my kids, my family, my home, right? My comforts, my pleasures, my savings. Um, or do I have a, a, a growing lifestyle of using my resources increasingly in the advancement of the gospel of God, the word of God, and the son of God, Jesus Christ? Uh, all of these are offensive things. And as I said, we're going to see them in this woman here. So just a, it's, a, it's an extremely important teaching for the body of Christ today, because rarely do you see this talked about or taught in church. Of course, we're encouraged to do good. Um, but for the, the again, I'll say the majority of Christians, it could be in the 90 percentile of Christians, um, they're content in the fact that they're not living in some type of um, just overtly immoral Christian lifestyle. Um, and Jesus is going to correct that here. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So this is a good thing. We were having Bible study yesterday and um, the, the majority of the religious leaders and Pharisees, Stephen mentioned this in Bible study yesterday, you know, they didn't want to be around Jesus at all. They wanted to have nothing to do with him. This Pharisee obviously has an interest in Jesus. He, you know, and he wants to, to get some more insight onto, you know, into his life. And so he, you know, he willingly invites Jesus to the house, wants Jesus to come to his home and have dinner. And, and Jesus willingly goes to his house. So credit is given to this religious leader that he does, you know, he, he, he wants to get to know Jesus better, right? 
Um, by the way, all of us ought to be inviting Jesus into everything. Now, one of the Pharisees, you ought to put your name there. Now, Corinne invited Jesus to have dinner, right? Now, May invited Jesus, you know, into her situation or into her sickness or into her difficulty or into even our successes, right? We want to invite Jesus into every aspect of our lives, not only spiritually, right, but emotionally, financially, right, physically and relationally, right? You want to bring Jesus into all of it. The more Jesus you have, the more blessed you'll be in everything. The less Jesus you have, the less blessed you'll be. Now, again, I'm not talking about salvation here, right? We get saved, as he says in verse 50. He tells the woman that Jesus said to the woman, verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace, okay? So we're not saved by offensive Christianity or defensive Christianity. By saved, I mean we do not have our sins forgiven, right? We do not come into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we don't go to heaven and avoid an eternity in hell by anything we do or not do, good or bad, okay? That comes by grace alone, by God's unmerited favor for us, through faith alone, right? Our trust and belief in Jesus Christ alone, okay? So, you know, are you trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone today for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? Um, you know, Romans 3.23 says that all human beings are sinful. We've all done wrong. One of the biggest problems in the world today is that people don't understand that they and all 8 billion people in the world, okay, that's 8,000 million. It takes 1,000 million to make a billion, Matthew, okay? All 8 billion people in the world are sinful, separated from God, and are hopeless, helpless, and desperate. And without Jesus, only eternal hell awaits. Now, that's what the scripture teaches. I know that that comes off intolerant or harsh. That's the plain teaching of the Bible. It's the very words of Jesus' mouth that no one comes to the Father except through him. No one, as we just said in John 14, 6. So, I mean, if you're not sure that you've given your life to Jesus, if you're not sure that you're believing in Jesus as the Son of God and trusting and relying in him alone, for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, simply go before him now. Uh, stop the tape. Use the words that I'm going to use. But but it's it's not the words that are important. It's, it's the condition and the genuineness and the sincerity of your heart that matters to God. Okay, Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That doesn't mean we can just puppet some words and we're saved. What it means is that when we come before Jesus, recognizing our sinfulness, our hopelessness, our helplessness, and in desperation, we throw ourselves before him and we cry out to him with genuine humility and pray, Lord Jesus, I confess that I know that I am a sinful person. And Jesus, I know that I'm hopeless. I'm helpless, Lord. I'm desperate. But Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I believe that you came into this world and lived a perfect life. 
even for me and died a perfect death for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. Now, again, I want to caution us. It's not just puppeting the words. Use the words, okay? But it's the genuineness, the sincerity, the humility, the desperation of your heart, knowing that without Jesus, no one will see heaven and only eternal hell awaits. We need Jesus first to save us from sin and eternal hell. Now, from there, once we've received Jesus, we come into relationship with the triune God. God the Excuse me. God the Father becomes our heavenly Father, right, Leah? Jesus Christ becomes our Lord and Savior and Master and King, right? Um, the Holy Spirit becomes our guide, our cons- our counselor, our comforter, right? We actually have relationship with the three separate beings: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God, right? And we have relationship with all of them. It- it's incredible, right? But nothing we do can save us, only our faith, our belief, our trust, and our reliance on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. So in verse 37, it says, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume 38, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, this is quite a scene here, okay? First of all, it takes a lot of courage. This woman learns that that Jesus is in this religious leader's house, the religious leaders would have had utter contempt for any person who was living in a in a sinful, probably immoral lifestyle. Okay, this woman is probably involved in in, in sexual immorality. Um, that's probably what this means. Um, and there would have been an utter contempt for her. Okay, um, and yet she has the courage to enter this religious leader's house, clearly not invited. Okay. Um, it says that she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. We learn with uh, Mary of Bethany that this bottle of perfume, and that was, that was a different, uh, a different woman in John 12, um, who also, you know, uh, Mary poured it over Jesus's head. Um, and we learned that this perfume was worth one year of a worker's wages, you know, so it was tremendously valuable. Try to imagine you had one year of savings uh, and, and that you've saved up one year of money and, and you're going to use it in extravagant love, you know, for Jesus, because that's what she's going to do here. Um, so it was extremely valuable, this alabaster jar of perfume. And verse 38 says, and as she stood behind him at his feet, 
weeping. So he would have been reclining at the table. In those days, the tables were lower. They weren't high tables and high chairs. Um, they, you know, they would have kind of, you know, been on their side and propped themselves up with their elbow um, and been reclining in that way. And so Jesus's feet are, is probably out to the left or right, right? If he's reclining on his on his left side, you know, um, and you can picture his his legs are kind of, you know, on the floor and his feet are, you know, are out to the right. And if he's reclining on his right elbow, you can see that, you know, his feet are probably sprawled out to the left. And in this way, you know, they would gather around the table. This is how they would sit. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, it says she stood behind him at his feet weeping. So uh, obviously she had heard of Jesus. Obviously um, uh, she perhaps had had an encounter with him or heard one of his teachings, but she had already experienced the love of Christ without question. She had already come to know um, the love of Christ and and understood him and believed in him as the savior, right? And so that's why she's doing this. And so she's weeping at his feet. Imagine now the discomfort of everyone in the room. The whole house goes silent. Jesus, Simon, all the other guests, this is kind of awkward, right? First of all, everyone knows that this woman is, a, is again, has lived a very sinful lifestyle. Um, and here Jesus is not stopping her right? He's letting her do this. And it says that she's, you know, she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. So the tears are streaming down her face going on Jesus's feet. Then she wiped them with her hair, right? So now she's got to be down on her knees because Jesus's feet are, are, are on the ground. Then she wiped them with her hair, so she's down on the ground, uh, right, Esther? And she's wiping Jesus's feet. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Yeah. Try to imagine you're in the house. I'm in the house. We're all going to feel just a little bit awkward, right? There's going to be total silence, and we don't know what to say. And Jesus isn't stopping her. Nor is Jesus saying anything. So Jesus just lets the awkward silence sit, right? Try to feel that, y'all, right? You see that, Melanie? I mean, he just lets it sit there, rap, right? Um, again, and if we were in the house, we wouldn't have said anything, right? We wouldn't know what to say. Well, look what Simon starts thinking in verse 39, Becky. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, right? So he didn't say this out loud. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, obviously there's some issues with Simon's understanding here. This doesn't mean, and Simon would have admitted that he too was a sinner, but this was not just a sinner that like all of us are sinners, this woman would have been a well-known immoral sinner. She would have had, you know, uh, some sort of active immoral lifestyle of sin. Like I said, the kind of thing that when we don't have that as Christians, the vast majority of the Christians think they're doing pretty well. And that would have been, you know, that would have been his position. Okay. Um, if this man were a prophet, 
he said this to himself, he didn't say it out loud, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, number one, Jesus is not a prophet, okay? He is a prophet in certain ways, but he's infinitely more than a prophet. He's full-blown almighty God, okay? Um, and, and obviously, Jesus is not concerned, not at all, because he allows it to happen. And so there's just a deafening silence in the room. Again, and you can understand it. The woman's hair is let down. That was considered immodest, right? Generally, only a woman with loose morals would let down her hair in public. In order for her to be wiping her, you know, his feet with her hair, she had to let the hair down. She didn't have it in a bun and she wasn't, you know, trying to tap her bun into there. Obviously, she had let her hair down. Again, she wasn't concerned about everybody else, what they were thinking. She was there showing true, extravagant love for Jesus, May, right? Um, again, in our churches today, oftentimes we'll, when we're in church and when we're worshiping and when we're praising God and when we're thanking Jesus and when we're just we call that extravagant worship. And certainly that's a wonderful thing. And that's something we should do in church and at home, right? But extravagant worship isn't what we do once a week on Sundays, okay? That's a good thing. This is extravagant worship. The woman is not embarrassed, okay? Uh, the woman has gone into a religious leader's house that she knows holds her in contempt and can't stand her. And publicly, okay, um, is 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 weeping her tears on his on his feet. Um, you know, she's kissing them. She's wiping his feet with her hair, her let down hair, and and then she's pouring this this perfume that's worth one year's wages on Jesus's feet, and Jesus is stone cold cool right? Stone cold cool. Not even saying anything. So again, I'm just, just to have, you know, just to have a camera in that room and to see everybody's expression and the awkwardness of it. And so Simon doesn't say anything. He doesn't break the silence, but he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and that this, this is this terrible, disgusting woman, right? Verse 40, Jesus answered him. He's answered his thoughts. Simon, I have something to tell you. So he directs this question right to Simon. No doubt looks right at him. Tell me, teacher, he said. 41. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Okay. So Jesus here acknowledges, number one, all of us have a sin debt to God, okay? The scripture is clear. We all are indebted to God because we have a holy God, a righteous God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who's completely sinless in our sinful lifestyle, right? We all sin in our thoughts, words, and actions, deeds, right? We've all disobeyed the word of God countless times. And because of that, we have a sin debt to God, all of us. Okay. Now there are different levels of sin, right? Um, you know, someone who's trying to live 
a moral Christian life to grow, to be more like Jesus in every aspect of their life, you know, is less sinful than someone who has no care at all and is just trying to live in as much sin and immorality um, and pays no attention to, to anything the scripture says. One is clearly more sinful than the other. But at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. All of us have a sin debt to God and only in believing and receiving and trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior can we be saved from our sin. Can we come into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? And can we ultimately avoid eternal hell and spend eternity in heaven with the triune God? Okay? Only in Christ. Only in receiving Christ, as we just talked about. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus... To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, so all of us have a sin debt to God. And the only way that sin debt can be satisfied is in receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Genuinely placing our full trust and confidence in him alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. If we do not receive Jesus and we leave, leave this life, our sin debt will still be paid but instead of Christ paying it at the cross, we pay it ourselves by spending an eternity in hell. Okay? Either way, the sin debt gets satisfied. That's why we, we earnestly plea for you to give your life to Jesus, right? So Jesus tells them the, this, this, uh, this short parable about the two men who owed money. Again, one owed ten times as much. Okay? One was ten times as sinful as the other. And so in verse 42, it says, neither of them had the money to pay him back. None of us can offset the sin we've done. Okay. It says, so he canceled the debts of both. In Jesus, whether you've had a million sins or a hundred thousand sins, all of them are canceled when you give your life to Jesus Christ. Past, present, and future sin. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow, Peyton. All right. Now, Jesus says, okay, so now which one of them will love him more? The one who had the 500 denarii canceled or the one who had the 50 denarii? The one who had the million sins or the one who had the 100,000 sins? So in verse 43, it says, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Well, of course, right? That makes sense. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Okay, now again. Even if we're living a holy life in Christ, we always have to remember we're never perfect. We still have a sinful, you know, we're, we're, we're never at a place where, we're, where, where, where we're, we've gotten to perfection. In the next life, we'll come to perfection and the proclivity of the sin will never happen again. Our sinful nature will, will be utterly eradicated when we get to the next life. And so we'll have, it'll never occur to us to sin. Okay, in this life, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, the power of the sinful nature loses its power, but the sinful nature is not eradicated. Still, we have a nature that pulls us to want to do things that the Bible tells us not to do. Right. And then we have a spiritual enemy in the devil and the demons that exacerbate that situation. Okay. Um, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now look what he says. And this is profound. 
Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. So now he's looking at the woman, right? Maybe pointing to her. And look what he says to him. Do you see this woman? Question mark. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with their hair. Okay, so Simon, yes, you're less sinful. Maybe this woman's 10 times as sinful as you are, but you have no offensive Christianity whatsoever. Although you certainly have less sin, Simon, I came into your house. Jesus came into your house. You did not give me any water from my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon should have been doing that too. That's great, Simon, that you haven't lived a sinful life. That's great that, that you're, you're in church every week, right? And you're not living in gross immorality. But what have you actually done for Jesus in a positive sense? What are you doing for him with your time? your gifts and talents, and with your money. Look at how pointed Jesus is. This is, a, this is a very clear, strong, or stern correction from Jesus. He's clearly, pointedly correcting Simon here, right, Tom? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Number one, 45. Number two, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet and showing her love to Jesus. Number three, 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Again, she took perfume that was worth a year's wages and poured her money on Jesus as well as her emotions, okay? This woman, although was living a far more sinful life than the, than the religious leader, she had a far greater offensive love for Jesus. Where is your offensive love for Jesus today? Now, again, there's no condemnation in Jesus. But when you hear this, we obviously ought to be looking to live a more holy life, a more Christ-like life, right? And continuing to grow uh, to live in a less sinful fashion. But you ought to consistently be out there serving Jesus and loving Jesus and loving his people and giving your, your time, talents, and money into the kingdom of God, the word of God, and the son of God. And if not, then you're like this Pharisee and I'm like this Pharisee, all right? Who are you like here in this? Are you more like the woman or are you more like Simon? Do you, do you have a lifestyle of pouring out your love to Jesus, right? Or are you just someone who's, you know, not doing anything terribly wrong, so to speak? You know, you still, you still gossip when you shouldn't and you still say things you ought to and you still kind of are judgmental and critical and you really don't have any generosity toward people or toward the kingdom of God, but you're, you know, you're not a prostitute, right? Look at the three stern corrections from Jesus. Now, this Pharisee is getting more than he bargained for, right? And he didn't even say nothing, right? He was only thinking it. So it kind of reminds us here, right, Chloe, that Jesus knows our thoughts. <laughs> yeah, girl, think about that, right? 
Let all of us just think, Corinne. Jesus knows what's going on in our mind, Corinne, okay? Uh, <laughs> that ought to give us all a little pause too, huh, Dave? <laughs> you know, again, Simon was only thinking this to himself. Jesus obviously knows what he's thinking, right? Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Now it's important we understand what Jesus is, is uh, saying here. Again, we're not forgiven of any of our sin. She had already experienced forgiveness from Jesus. And because she understood how much she had been forgiven, she had a tremendous overt offensive love for Jesus. She was on the offense and loving Jesus as we need to increasingly be, right? But Simon, because he did not perceive himself as being near as sinful, and he wasn't near as sinful, but because he had that attitude, he did not have the love for Jesus, right? You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. What did that look like, May, right? The whole time they're all just standing there. It's kind of awkward as this woman's crying and just kissing the feet of Jesus and he ain't stopping her. And that's what we need to be doing, right? And we do that by serving Jesus. Obviously, we don't have Jesus here physically, but to serve Jesus and to love Jesus and to show our love for Jesus and his kingdom and his gospel and his Bible and his people, right? When we understand the depth of our forgiveness, right? But he who has been forgiven little loves little. The more we understand, Benny, the depth of our forgiveness, right? The, the, uh, the more we understand, Ian, the depth of our forgiveness, the more we will love Jesus. One of the reasons we're not good at forgiving is we don't understand the massive sin debt that we have all been forgiven, okay? Golly, thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. All right, 48. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Hold up. Okay. C.S. Lewis said in, in Mere Christianity, you know, it's one thing for me to forgive you some sin that you sinned against me. And we're all called to do that. It's quite another thing for me to forgive someone else who sinned against you. Okay, no one can do that but God alone. You, you see what I'm saying here, Scott? It's one thing for me to say to you, Scotty, I, you know, I forgive you, you know, for not calling me back for three, four days, right? Um, but it's another thing for me to say, Scott, I forgive Matthew for not calling you back for three to four days. <laughs> Hold up, wait a minute. Well, what did you just say? Did you say you forgive Matthew for not calling me back? Verse 48, the other guests began to say among themselves, who, who, who is this who even forgives sins? Did they don't know who they're dealing with? And as I say all the time, Dustin, we often don't know who we're dealing with, right? Jesse, my brother Jesse today, him and I were going over this this morning. He's an elder at Kingdom Discipleship. 
along with Tom um, and myself. And, uh, you know, we were just reviewing this and just talking about how pertinent this is and how important it is for the body of Christ for us to examine ourselves and to earnestly repent, you know, where we where we do not have a lifestyle of offensive Christianity, where we do not have a lifestyle of using our time, our gifts and talents and our treasure and our money and our finances to increasingly advance the word of God, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, the good news that Jesus has come and paid the price that we can have our sins forgiven and, and go to heaven and have relationship with the triune God and, and, and not go to hell. Um, and, you know, and then living our lives in advancing that good news, advancing the kingdom of God, using our time, talents, and treasures. Um, uh, really, all of us need to repent um, and increasingly want to have not only growing defensive Christianity and stopping ourselves from doing things and saying things and thinking that things that are wrong, but being like this woman, right, who although had lived a very sinful lifestyle, right, it said she had, so perhaps she had already repented, and, and that she had clearly experienced the love and the forgiveness of Jesus, and she was showering her love on him. But you got to know who you're dealing with in Jesus. We often, Papa, don't know who we're dealing with, right, Pop? We don't know who we're dealing with in Jesus. And they didn't know because the guests began to, you know, turn to each other and say, I mean, who is this who even forgives sins? No one in history ever, because only God can forgive sins. Jesus is God, right, Lauren? Jesus is God. Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, and we already discussed this, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, that's an important way to, to end this chapter because all that she did still didn't save her. All that she did was an expression of the genuine faith she had that Jesus and Jesus alone was enough. And out of her faith, she had this tremendous offensive love for Jesus that she would go into this house to this religious leader who, who despised her uninvited and just shower her love on Jesus and then take something worth one year of a worker's wages, right? And that was a man. A woman couldn't make money like a man did and, and shower it on Jesus. Wow. Wow. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, we ask you to forgive us and cleanse us of unrighteousness. Forgive us, Lord, when we just hold ourselves as self-righteous and when we just we think ourselves better because we're not as sinful. Father, I ask you to cleanse me and wash me and cleanse us one and all of this of this, this sinful heart, Lord, of, of just living our lives and, and thinking because we're not living in some type of gross immorality that that we're so much better off, Father. Forgive us where we're not living our lives, Lord, offensively in love for you, Lord, where we're not living our lives in loving you like this woman did with our time and our talents and our money. Forgive us, Father. Holy Spirit, I ask you to convict us and drive us that we would live our lives increasingly 
loving Jesus more and getting up and spending time in evangelism, Lord, and praying for others and giving of our time, talents, and money, Lord, in the advancement of the kingdom of God, the gospel of God, and the word of God. And Father, I ask you that, 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 that we would be convicted and that we would go in peace as, as Jesus dismissed this woman and told her to go in peace. Father, help us that we would go in peace like this woman, knowing that we have placed our full faith and trust in Jesus and that we're clinging to Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul, and to save us from eternal hell and bring us to eternal life in heaven. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.